Well, I take it you're staying dry. You know, Carolyn and I are living in our RV trailer. And every day I say to the Lord, Lord, keep us dry in here. And he has so far. But boy, the rain hammers that trailer. I, uh, and when the wind is blowing, it's worse yet. And, um, we have a, we have an awning that goes out over the slide out. And that thing flaps, uh, I'm guessing one of these days it's gonna go away. Might land in one of your yards. Uh, and Christmas, you've got all that done, right? You're all ready to go. Um, Carolyn came to me the other day and she said, honey, Let's just buy simple things for each other this year for Christmas. I said, simple? What do you have in mind? She said, you know, like socks and diamonds. <laughs> so let me tell you what about Carolyn. I bought her two great pairs of socks. <laughs> you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets so practical that you want to say, you'd like to take this passage and tear it out of your Bible after a while. And he's going to do the same thing to us today. I mean, uh, last week he was telling us how not to worry. Um, today he's going to tell us how not to judge each other. That's an issue, isn't it? It seems to be all around us. And we've all done it, or we all do it. And uh, Jesus wants to speak to that issue this morning. Let's bow together and pray before we begin. Father, we thank you today that we are in the presence of a God who knows everything. God, you know us by far better than we know ourselves. Not only that, but you sent your son. The prophet says his name would be wonderful, counselor, almighty God. And Father, if we stopped right there and knew nothing else about the Lord Jesus, we would know enough. But he goes on to say he is our Savior, and he is the Prince of Peace. And peace is what Jesus brings, not only between you and me, but between me and the people around me. And Father, today we thank you that you have sent your Son. In this Christmas season, we are reminded again, Father, of the awesome redemption, forgiveness, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, glorification that is ours as we sit here. And we thank you today, Father, that you've done all this for us. We are not perfect, so sometimes we judge people. Sometimes we say things we ought not to. And we ask you, Father, to train us this morning, teach us this morning. Your spirit is here. You are in this room. Your spirit indwells our very beings. And we ask you, Father, to do a spirit work among us today. 
And we will thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I think sometimes we tend to make statements that we don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Get this picture in your mind. A woman sends her son, little Johnny, to the store for five pounds of apples. And when Johnny comes home, she figures out there's only four and a quarter pounds of apples. She dials up the grocer and she says, I sent my son for five pounds of apples. He paid for five pounds of apples and he only brought home four and a quarter pounds of apples. You cheated me. And the grocer says, ma'am, my scales are checked regularly and I know they are correct. Have you weighed little Johnny lately? I think sometimes we tend to make statements without having all the information. And sometimes the information is not available to anybody. Take, for example, Daniel Webster. You might know that he served uh, under three presidents as the Secretary of State. He was convinced that the railroad system in the United States could not work. He said that the rails would get frost on them and the trains would not be able to move. And if they did move, they wouldn't be able to stop on the frost. Uh, Take, for instance, uh, Robert Fulton and his production and invention of the steam engine. There were a lot of people who thought he might be on to something and they donated money to him, but they wanted their names kept quiet. They they wanted to be anonymous because uh, they didn't know for sure whether he could do it or not. Uh, Here's one. A six-year-old boy was sent home to school one day. This is a true story. Had a note from his teacher. And the note basically said, please don't send this boy to school anymore. He does not have the intellectual capability to learn. And we can't spend the amount of time we would have to. So he is too dumb to learn. His name? Albert Einstein. True story. Uh, Here's one I like. Benjamin Franklin had a girl he wanted to marry. And her mother said, absolutely not. She said, he is a printer. And there's already two print offices in the United States, and that's all we're going to need. So I think sometimes we make judgments, and those judgments are based on limited information. And there comes a point in time later when we are found out to not know what we're talking about. Now you come to chapter 7 in the book of Matthew. And chapter 7 takes on a different form. In chapter 7, we won't find any more ego de legos. Jesus is not going to say, but I say to you, I even I say to you, that that's that there's a new form in chapter 7. In fact, there's so much new form in chapter 7 
that some believe that Matthew did a little uh, cutting and pasting here to get chapter 7 in this spot. But the fact is, is that it does fit, and there is a connector in chapter 7, and the connector is relationships. It's it, Each paragraph in chapter 7 is self-contained. They don't necessarily relate to each other the way the previous paragraphs have. But the fact is, the connecting thread through the whole chapter is relationship. And Jesus starts out with the relationship between brothers. And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes when we judge people, we tend to judge our brothers and sisters more harshly than we do anybody else. Um, and so Jesus starts out with this whole idea of brothers and uh, us judging a brother who may be misbehaving, for example. So let's start out with our outline. You have the outline in your hand. And oh, let me say that in this whole process, one of the worst illustrations of making a judgment uh, was in uh, 19, I'm sorry, 1865 when the Chicago Times, another printing press I might add, uh, uh, evaluated Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And this is what it said. The cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads the silly, flat, dishwatery utterances of a man who has to be pointed out to be in, uh, to intelligent foreigners as the President of the United States. And yet, the Gettysburg Address came to be known as one of the greatest pieces of oratory ever heard or ever written. And so, uh, judgments are all around us. So let's take a look at our outline. Here's the first piece. The Christian is not to be a judge. The Christian is not to be a judge. Let's look at our text. Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged. Now he's going to use that word judge four times in these two short verses. The word that he uses is the Greek word krino. And that word means to pronounce judgment. To pronounce judgment. And it goes beyond just voicing an opinion. I'll explain that later. And then he says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Now that's scary, isn't it? In fact, he's going to take that a step further and say, And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now that is even more scary to realize that I want to put a standard on you that I might not want to put myself under. And he is telling me that the standard I use to judge the people around me, my family, friends, and relatives, is the standard that is going to be used on me. The word measure is the word metron. Metron. It means a measurement. 
It is a, gar- a, a graduated rod for measuring, and it is a rule of measurement. If you add ohm to it, you get metronome. And you know what a met, if you've ever taken a music lesson in your life, you, uh, you, uh, you know what a metronome is. Uh, our granddaughter plays the flute wonderfully. It is music to my ears, no pun intended. But we gave her a metronome for Christmas. Uh, and she's learned to hate that metronome. And, uh, because it measures time. Actually, it measures space as well. But it measures time. So, metron is the word that is used here. And, uh, now you might have known Tolstoy. Uh, Tolstoy, uh, uh, was from Russia. Uh, Leo Tolstoy died in, uh, uh, 1912, 1910, I mean. And, uh, he was maybe a Christian, but he set a lot of his philosophy, uh, in place on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he read the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Tolstoy said. He said, Christ, you might know he's best known for his novel, War and Peace. He was prolific in writing. He said, Christ totally forbids the human institution of any law court. And he could mean nothing else by these words. In other words, he's saying that there can be no law court in the land. That's what Jesus means. I don't think that's what Jesus means at all. So let me explain to you that I don't think uh, Jesus is telling us to suspend our critical faculties. Jesus cannot mean that we suspend our critical faculties. We are not to be blind to the faults that go on around us. We are not to function without discernment between truth and error. That's not what uh, what Jesus is talking about here. So let me explain why. First of all, it would be dishonest to do so. When you look at the words of Jesus from beginning to end, he views Christianity as an as an issue of integrity. He views Christianity as something that is always honest and right and truthful. And he is not saying that we should not be honest and truthful. Christ's love is a love of integrity. We hear today in the midst of the possibility of uh, terrorism around us. If you see something, say something. Jesus is not saying, if you see something, say nothing. That is not what he's saying. And secondly... It would contradict our very nature. See, man is created with the ability to make judgments. From the very beginning, man was created that way. So much so that God gave Adam the responsibility to have the judgment to name the animals. Man has a natural ability. And that natural ability needs to be fulfilled. The next thing is, 
it would contradict the entire of the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus is not suggesting that if you see a brother or a sister who is functioning in a non-Christian way, that you should not approach them. That is not what he's saying. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw pearls before swine. In other words, you have to decide what is holy. You have to decide what is good, what is not good. In chapter 7, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets. If you're going to beware of false prophets, you have to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is false, what is true. In chapter 7, verse 16, he says, you will know them by their fruits. That means you have to be discerning to be able to discern what their fruits are. Another thing is, it would contradict the scripture uh, which requires judgment and discernment. We are required to have critical powers. Throughout the writings of Christ, throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul, in the epistolary literature in general, we are required to discern and not be hypocrites, not to function one way and speak another way, not to believe one way and function a different way. We are not to be like the heathen. We are to develop righteousness in us. We are to use our discernment. We are to be different from the world. And the only way to be different from the world is to look at something and discern and say, that's not what I'm supposed to be. So it goes against the whole Sermon on the Mount as well as the whole of Scripture. So if that's not what he means, what does he mean? Well, Jesus means that we are not to be the ones to condemn and sentence others. Remember that word crino, that word that he uses for judge? It's a word that's used in the New Testament, both of God and of man. It is possible for God to look at a person make a judgment, condemn that person, and pronounce judgment on that person. It means to not only judge the person, but judge the result of that judgment as well. It's condemnation. It's sentencing. It's to judge harshly, that word means. He is saying, don't be a fault finder. Don't be a censor. Uh, Don't be claiming competence and authority that you don't actually have. Paul says the same thing in Romans 14.4. He says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord will enable him to stand, the apostle Paul says. But he says, it's not my place to judge whether he serves his master well or not well. In other words, Paul, Jesus is saying, you are not God. It's good for us 
to wake up once in a while in the morning and remind ourselves, I'm not God. Because <laughs> sometimes we... Have you been around people who seem to think that they know everything and that they can judge everything and everybody and every action? You hear words like, I told you that would happen. I knew that would happen. Uh, I want to kick myself when I hear myself saying those things. But I do. I hear myself saying those things sometimes. Uh, and it's good to remind ourselves that we are not God. Uh, our heart motivation, listen, our heart motivation is not to be blind, but to be generous. You see the difference there? Let's look at point number two. The Christian is not to be a hypocrite. And here is maybe the most famous illustration that Jesus ever gave. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Circle the word speck. Uh, it's the Greek word karthos. Karthos. And, and it's been translated as a splinter. And the reason it's translated as a splinter is because that's in contrast to the log in my own eye, see. Uh, but the word karthos actually means any tiny little impurity that comes into my eye. And sometimes you and I are someplace and the wind comes up and it blows a speck of dust into our eye. And it's tiny, tiny, but you feel it in your eye. It could be a piece of pollen that's floating around and it blows into your eye. It could be something so tiny that you almost can't see it. Sometimes Carolyn would say, I got something in my eye. I say, it's your eyeball, honey. No. Uh, she would say, I got something in my eye. Look at, and I would look and I can't find it. But she says, it's there. I say, well, keep blinking, keep blinking and it'll come out. And sooner or later, it does. That's what this word means. Carthos. Something very small that irritates the eye. He says, but you do not notice the log uh, the dokas, the dokas, the log that is in your own eye. So he's contrasting something so small that you almost can't see it. So he's talking about a minor offense uh, with this thing that's in my eye that is so big that everybody knows about it. You can't walk any place without everybody seeing it. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, same word, out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye. Jesus exposes our tendency to meddle with the minor offenses of others while failing to deal with our own more serious faults. This picture is ludicrous to the extreme. The picture that Jesus gives us here is ludicrous to the extreme. What Jesus is saying is that the only way we should approach another person is with total objectivity and total impartiality without sin in our own lives. 
Let me tell you why he makes this statement with this illustration. Here's the first thing. Because we are fallible humans. We are not God. We are, we are fallible. We are sinners. We tend to exaggerate the faults of other people while minimizing our own faults. Let me say that again. We tend to exaggerate the faults of other people while minimizing our own faults. That is so true, so easy for us to do. And uh, the other reason is we are fallen humans. We are all sinners. Every single one of us. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:13, he said, if we judge ourselves rightly, in other words, if we look at our sin and we deal with it appropriately, we should not be judged. God is not going to have to judge us later with those things. We tend to have a rosy view of ourselves and a judicial view of other people. And you know what Jesus calls that? He calls that hypocrisy. So here's the thing. Jesus is not saying that we should not approach a brother who is living in sin. But what he is saying is that we should only do that when two things are true. One, I have no unconfessed sin in my own life. And two, there is nothing that he can accuse me on. In fact, once in a while, I have been in a situation where I have said to an elder, Somebody needs to talk to him about that. And the elder will say, well, why don't you do it? And I'll say, I can't, because he could accuse me of this. Can't have that. Even if the log is gone, he still might accuse me. So, no unconfessed sin in my life. Nothing he can accuse me on. Then I can approach him. But I cannot determine what the result of that judgment will be. I cannot condemn him. Number three, the Christian is rather to be a brother. We are to be a brother. Jesus says, you hypocrite. This is the guy who wants to approach another guy who has a speck in his eye. And I got a log in my eye. He calls me a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you may see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Circle the word brother. Very important here. This is somebody we love. Somebody we care about. Somebody we're interested in. Somebody who we want to move forward, not set back. So here's what Jesus is saying. Hypocrisy is forbidden. Hypocrisy is forbidden. But that does not relieve us of our brotherly responsibility towards one another. In fact, Jesus' own words in Matthew 18 says to us, If your brother offends you, go to him. 
speak to him about this offense. And if he doesn't hear you, then go broader with it. Bring an elder. Bring another friend. Take it to the church if you have to. He is, he is interested in reconciliation with brothers. So we are not to be hypocritical about it. But we're not relieved of the responsibility either. And let me say that either a log or a speck is always alien, usually painful, and sometimes dangerous. When we get something in our eye, it could be dangerous. When my brother was a young boy of six years old, he had a pencil stuck right in his eyeball. And for years later, trips from where we lived down to the University Hospital in Philadelphia. And if you look at my brother today, if he looks at you, he does this. He looks at you like this. And his eyes are going like this all the time. So something that's in your eye could become dangerous. Something that comes into your life that is not pleasing to God, a sin, an attitude, whatever it might be, is dangerous. And God is saying, we need to get rid of that thing. And it's our responsibility as brothers and sisters to help you or me in that process. It's... uh Leaving that thing there would be inconsistent with what brotherly love really is. And once you have dealt with our own eye trouble, then we are able to see clearly enough to help a brother. So we've got to get the log out of there first. That's what I mean. No unconfessed sin. Nothing that he can accuse me of. Let me give you a fast solution. People get upset with me over this. Because people come to me and tell me, Hey, did you know so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And I say, no, I didn't know that. And then I say, well, I'll go talk to so-and-so and see if blah, 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 blah is true. And they say, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't think you'd do that. The reason I do that is because Scripture requires that. Write this verse down. Proverbs 18.13. Proverbs 18.13. Let me read it for you out of the New King James text. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it, circle the word it, uh, that's the better translation out of all the others. He who answers a matter before he hears it, and it implies that he hears the whole thing, it is folly and shame to him. Now, I have what I call Rich Hagenbaugh's paraphrase of that verse. Okay, here it comes. Only a fool makes up his mind on a one-sided story. See, that, that was the problem when a guy says, you know, uh, the train system will not work in this country. 
because of Frost. He just didn't know everything. That's why we put two people who are arguing together so that we get both sides of the issue. That's why when somebody comes to me and says, did you know so-and-so, I'll say, or did you know so-and-so did or said? I said, no, I'll go talk to so-and-so and see if they did and said that. Because I can't make a decision, uh, I can't have good discernment unless I have all of the information. And as a result, we don't draw judgments, we don't even draw opinions on one-sided stories. You know why? Because we all tend to taint everything a little bit the way we want it to go. Uh, I mean, any of you who have kids, you know what that's like. Uh, he did, she did, he said, she said, and, and on it goes. And sometimes, even if you put them together, you can't get to the bottom of it. So the result is, God is saying to us, make sure you have all the information, and then help a brother, but don't pronounce judgment don't pronounce condemnation on this individual. You know, if we were to say, we aren't going to say anything, that we don't have all of the information about and have talked to all of the parties involved, you know how much that would stop? It would stop most all of it. Because very few of us have all of the information. A preacher of a previous generation said, Remember this, whenever you see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things that you do not know. One, you do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. Two, you do not know the powers of the forces that assailed him or her in this process. And three, you do not know what you would have done under the same circumstances. So the result is you have to make sure that you don't judge people, especially to the point of condemnation. I could have told you that would happen. I knew that would happen. I told you already that would happen. Um, those are statements of judgment. They're statements of condemnation. Uh, Jesus says don't do it. Why? Because you're fallible and you're fallen, same as they are. We're all in the same boat in a lot of ways. So this morning as we take communion... Maybe you're going to say to yourself, maybe you're going to say to God, God, I've been too judgmental. Today's the day for me to start changing that. And maybe the day when you go to communion, you're going to start a new process with this judgmental stuff. You know, if you're visiting with us today, we're delighted to have you. We do communion here every Sunday morning. Our worship team will come and play. And while they play, there are 
communion stations, one over there, one back there, one there, and one over there. There's even a gluten-free one back there by the doors. And uh, while they're playing, you are welcome to get up and, and go get the bread and the cup and either find a corner or bring it back to your seat. Uh, you're welcome to sit, kneel, however you want to take communion and take communion Come before the Lord. And uh, the Apostle Paul says we should always examine ourselves before we do this. And basically, that means confessing any sin that's in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, perhaps our, our greatest disadvantage is that we are human and our greatest privilege is that we are human we are your creation created in your image and we are thankful today father that we have the privilege and even the ability with your spirit and the trinity living within us to function in a way that could please the God of the universe. So, so Father, we come. We come because you own us. We belong to you. We are purchased with a price. That price is this broken body that we celebrate this morning. That price is this poured out blood that we celebrate this morning. Lord Jesus, your love red, red, my sin washed white. What an incredible truth. And we thank you today, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. We thank you, Jesus, today that you are the Almighty God. And we don't forget that we stand in the presence of the Almighty God. So today, Father, we give ourselves to you anew and freshly. We pray that you will take us, that you will use us for your glory. And we'll thank you for it all. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.